Christmas 2017. Can you believe it? Well, the first thing I want to do is to say Merry Christmas and welcome to all of the folks gathered up in Quakertown and for all of the folks that are over in Heritage Hall that are joining us. And Merry Christmas to you all, and we're certainly glad that you're here joining us this morning. Well, what we're going to do for the next few minutes is to look at a few words that will help us understand Christmas. Now, we're not going to look in detail at a lot of words that you often think of as Christmas words. We're going to choose some other words. And at first you may think, what in the world do those words have to do with Christmas? But if you give me a few minutes, maybe you'll understand how these words relate to Christmas. If you get the word cloud up there, we're not going to look at all of them. We're only going to look at five. The first word I, I want you to look at or, or the, for you to consider is the word rewind. When it comes to this time of year, do you ever think, been there, done that, right? I remember as a kid, Christmas always began right after Thanksgiving. Remember those old days? In fact, I grew up in Philadelphia, and Christmas season began right after the Thanksgiving parade. Santa would walk up the ladder into one of the uh, department stores downtown, and that kicked off the Christmas season. Christmas now begins right after Halloween. And for months, we get 24-7 Christmas songs. Christmas movies play over and over again on TV. And then the Christmas food begins, and the decorations arrive. And we typically say, been there, done that. Same old, same old. How many of you actually like Elf? That's terrible. That, that's a wretched movie. I not only had to watch the movie, I had to go see it on Broadway. It's even worse in person. Now, Christmas Vacation, now there's a movie. That plays 24-7, right? People still can't, be can't believe it. I have never yet seen It's a Wonderful Life all the way through. I've seen bits and pieces. I know, I was already yelled at this morning for saying that last night. Sorry. I'm hoping to keep my record intact this year. <laughs> Christmas foods, well, that's a reason to get excited, right? Eggnog. Chris Chickies. How many of you eat Chris Chickies at Christmas? Yeah, Chris Chickies. And then you have ham, potatoes, all the typical kind of things you have at Christmas. Same old, same old. Here we go again. Back at another Christmas Eve service at Calvary Church. But repetition is the mother of all learning, right? How many passes do you think Carson Wentz has thrown in his life? I'm still bummed he's not thrown any more this year. How many golf balls do you think Jordan Spieth has hit in his life? Gladwell tells us 10,000 hours is what it takes to become an expert. Do something for 10,000 hours and you kind of figure it out. So maybe it's not such a bad thing that Christmas is the same old, same old. Maybe one of these years we'll get it. And the rest of our words are going to help us get it. So in the interest of rewind... I want to read to you that most familiar passage that you've probably heard dozens of times, the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. 
Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Repetition, the mother of all learning. Well, our next word is the word disruption. Now, I know Christmas is supposed to be a time of peace and tranquility, rest and relaxation, but we all know that's not how it works, right? Just think of the disruptions that happened at the first Christmas. Let me uh, mention a few. The beginning of the passage I read from Luke chapter 2 finds the shepherds disrupted. They're minding their own business, probably falling asleep, doing their job, watching sheep, and all of a sudden an angel shows up with the announcement of a newborn king, and their lives are radically changed, and their lives are disrupted. There's an interruption that night. And then before you know it, a whole flash mob of angels fill the sky, and they're singing praises to God. They can't go back to sleep now, right? And the angels give them a mission. Go to Bethlehem, find a baby, and worship him. Then go tell people what you find. Their lives were disrupted, right? And how about the magi? The wise men. Luke doesn't tell us about them. Matthew tells us about them. Now, the Magi were really smart, really wealthy guys that lived in another country. And they have predicted the future by gazing into the sky, looking at historical trends, extrapolating into the future how it was all going to work. And people came to them for their wise advice. Well, one night, these Magi were looking up into the sky, and all of a sudden they saw a star that didn't belong there. They'd never seen it there before. And the star somehow was beckoning them to follow. I'm not sure how, maybe waving to them or something. Well, anyway, the star was so attractive and they were compelled to pack up their belongings, purchase really expensive gifts, and leave for a foreign country. And there were no walls built then between countries. And so they traveled from one country to the other without being stopped at all. And they show up in a foreign land asking for a newborn king. Well, make no mistake, their lives were disrupted, right? They were looking into the sky, trying to figure out their latest tact on wisdom. And before you know it, they're summoned to another country. Oh, yeah, if you think that's a disruption. How about Joseph? Joseph, is uh, he belongs to the Carpenters Union in Nazareth. And he's trying to save a few bucks because he's got an upcoming wedding. And one afternoon at lunch, his fiancée announces to him that she's pregnant. Well, he knows it's not his kid, and all of a sudden he's beginning to think she's not such a nice girl. If you don't think that'll disrupt your life, you never had anything like that happen to you. His life is turned upside down in an instant. Well, how about Mary? An angel shows up and says to Mary, Mary, even though you've never been with a man, you're going to be pregnant, and God is the Father. How many people are going to believe that story, right? Um, She's got to tell her parents. They're going to find out at the synagogue. And poor Joseph, what's he going to think? Mary's life is not disrupted or interrupted. Her life is essentially ruined. She's going to be excommunicated from the church. Her fiancé is never going to marry her now. She's going to be thrown out of the family. Talk about disruption. Yeah, how about ruined? Oh, yeah, but all of those disruptions pale to this guy's disruption. His name's Herod. Herod's title was King of the Jews. Now, remember the Magi, those guys that came from the other country? They show up in the capital city of Israel, 
And they ask Herod, the king of the Jews, where they can find the newborn king. Now, if you know anything about Herod, you know Herod didn't take too kindly to rivals to his throne. And let me give you a couple of examples. Herod had like 10 or 11 wives. Don't ask me why. He had like 10 or 11 wives. His favorite wife had a son that was his favorite son. There was an accusation leveled that his favorite wife was somehow plotting to put his favorite son on the throne, his throne. No lie, you can check it out. Herod has his favorite wife and favorite son executed for just contemplating taking his throne. Three magi from another country show up. So Herod, where's the new king? Yeah, he doesn't take too kindly to that either. Talk about a life being disrupted, interrupted. The Bible tells us Herod was disturbed. You bet he was disturbed. But you know, Christmas brings disruption for us too. Now you may not think that, but let me give you a twofold message of Christmas that will show you Christmas disruption. Here's the twofold message of Christmas. God is closer than you think. Isn't that the message of Christmas? Like God's right here, right? We often think God is far, far away. He doesn't see and hear the stuff we do. Thank him, right? But the message of Christmas is no, 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 no. God's not far away. God is up close and personal. God's right here. And here's the other message of Christmas. And you're not nearly as good as you think. I can tell by looking, you're not nearly as good as you think. Well, you put those two messages together, God's not as far away as we think, and we're not as good as we think. You put those two things together, and you've got a major problem now, right? You take a really good, like, perfect God and put him next to people who think they're a whole lot better than they are, and you've got a collision coming. And if you've never experienced that collision, that interruption, that disruption, you've never understood Christmas. Christmas disruption. But that's not the only word I want to talk about. You ever notice that people get moody at Christmas? Don't they? I mean, how many of you have ever noticed somebody moody? Don't raise your hand. Because he's probably next to you, right? <laughs> well, here are a few moods that uh, I notice people have at Christmas. How about this one? Panic. Panic. It's Christmas Eve, folks. Now, answer honestly. We're among friends. We won't judge you. How many of you still have things to do before tomorrow? Raise your hand. And some of you are in a panic about that, right? How about anxiety? Any of you have anxiety about, you know, family coming? You know, last year, Uncle Bob and Uncle Nick, they had a fist fight at the Christmas dinner, right? Aunt Barb always drinks too much. She's an embarrassment to everybody. There's a lot of anxiety, right? Now, there's also joy at Christmas, right? What better joy than watching kids, little kids, open a gift with their wide eyes and their smiles and their squeals of delight when they get what they never thought they were going to get? But there's also grief, right? My guess is uh, some of you in this room, if you haven't had Christmas grief yet, you will tonight or tomorrow. Because some people uh, that used to be there aren't there. Their chairs are empty. You've never had a Christmas without her. He's been there for every Christmas you've ever had. But the chairs are vacant this year. Christmas Grief. 
A lot of different moods at Christmas, right? Nothing like this time of year brings those different moods to the surface. And before you know it, they're kind of right out there, right? But that's nothing different than the first Christmas. In fact, if we were to read through those accounts that we find in the Bible, we would find Christmas moods all over the map that we just mentioned. We read that the angels are praising God. They're excited to announce this good news. The shepherds join in and they're praising God. The magi, we're told, we're, we're told are overjoyed with the message. Herod's ticked off. Mary's mood transforms in the story. Mary's mood starts out as confused. But before the story ends, Mary is pondering and treasuring all these things in her heart. Moods. So what are your Christmas moods? I have a little secret for you. Your mood is determined by what you think of Christmas news. Christmas news. You see, the angels come and announce the news of Christmas. And Christmas is good news, we're told. But here's the trick. In order for the Christmas news to be good news, you have to first accept something of the bad news. So let me explain it this way. $20 is a really good gift for a homeless guy who doesn't have two quarters to rub together in his pocket. Isn't that right? But to somebody who just received a $140,000 year-end gift or a year-end bonus, 20 bucks isn't anything at all. How about this? The cure for breast cancer is really good news to the woman with stage three breast cancer. But to somebody who's been in perfect health and the doctor just gave him or her a clean bill of health, a cure for breast cancer is no big deal at all, right? Good news is determined by whether you know something about the bad news and whether you think you need the good news. So what's the good news of Christmas then? Well, let me explain it to you like this. In a word, the good news of Christmas could be admission, admission. A number of years ago, by uh, my nephew, and who knows that I'm a Springsteen guy, announces to me that he's working with a guy who's a Springsteen nut. And he tells me that he wants to take me to the Springsteen concert. So a long time ago, the concert was going to be at the Spectrum. Remember that? A much better place to watch a hockey game, by the way. All right? Yeah. And so I get invited to go to the Springsteen concert at the Spectrum. I've already seen Bruce on that same tour twice already, but I'm going to go. It's a free night into the concert, right? So I meet Eric in town. We kind of have dinner together. We have lunch together. And we arrive for the 7 p.m. concert at 1.30. And we weren't the first ones there, right? I mean, there's tailgating all afternoon. There's football games. There's barbecues going. It's a great afternoon. And, of course, Springsteen blaring from every car and trunk in the parking lot. And every Springsteen fan knows that even though the tickets say 7, he doesn't come on until 8.30. So 7 passes. We're still tailgating. About 8.10, Eric and I start making our way toward the spectrum. As we're walking toward the entrance... I ask Eric where the tickets are. He says, uh, oh, I don't have tickets, but I know a guy. <laughs> I know, a, you've heard that, I know a guy. I'm thinking, you're kidding me, right? We walk right past the entrance where everybody's lined up to go in through the turnstiles because they have tickets. 
We walk to the exit doors that don't have handles to get in and they're all closed. Eric knocks on the first set of doors, nothing. Second set of doors, nothing. Third set of doors, open, and the guy says, come on in, hurry, hurry, don't let anybody see you. There's two of us sneak in. He walks us over to the one section of seats, stage right. He says, sit here. If anybody comes with tickets, act confused and go find two empty seats. <laughs> it was a great concert. It was good. We never had to move from those seats. <laughs> you know, I'm reminded of that story because I think there are a lot of people that think they're getting into the presence of God and getting into heaven is somehow related to that. Look, I don't know how. I'll find a way. I know a guy. I'll knock on the back door. No, no, no. Can I tell you? The good news of Christmas is Jesus Christ is your ticket to acceptance with God, admission into God's grace, admission into God's forgiveness, admission into God's presence, admission into heaven forever. That's the good news of Christmas. But remember, it's only good news to those who know we're not nearly as good as we think we are Thank God his Christmas gift, Jesus, purchases me admission forever. That's the good news of Christmas. I've got one last word for you, and that's the word peace. Everybody knows Christmas is about peace, right? In fact, look at what the angel says. The angel shows up and says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. I'd be willing to bet all of you in this room received at least one Christmas card with the word peace on it. Many of you have peace on your Christmas tree or on your Christmas decorations. Everybody knows what Christmas is about. It's about peace. Yeah, but we kind of misunderstand this peace deal, right? In fact, there are some people that think, oh, the message of Christmas peace is international peace. Yeah, here's the problem with that one. If Jesus primarily came to bring international peace, then Jesus and his followers are failures have you seen the news lately? There's no international peace. If Jesus primarily came to bring internal peace, then Jesus and his followers are failures because you already told me your moods are all over the map and you're more on the bad side of the mood continuum than you are on the good side of the mood continuum. You see, the peace that Jesus came is not political peace and the, G and the peace Jesus came primarily to bring is not psychological peace. The peace that Jesus came to bring is peace with God. And from that peace with God, your internal peace will grow and our relational peace with grow, will grow. But make no mistake, the peace Jesus brings is first and foremost peace with God. Charles Wesley knew that. Peace with God. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinner reconciled. That's Christmas peace. Now, I'm going to close in prayer, but we're not done yet. After I'm done praying, we're going to take one more run, one more run at this, because I can tell some of you still aren't getting it. We're going to take one more run at it. And, after, and we're going to help you understand the words again in a little context, and then after we take one more run at it, we're going to end the service by singing together. Will you join me as we pray? Father, we thank you for the message of Christmas. We thank you, Lord, for all of the feelings and all the moods that go along with it. But, Lord, we confess that often our understanding of Christmas is pretty shallow. 
And so, Lord, maybe it's this year in the repetition and the replay of another year, maybe we'll get it a little more deeply. Lord, maybe there'll be a little disruption when you show us a little bit better who you are and who we are. And maybe our moods will transition as we understand the bad news about us and the great news that Jesus brings. And that great news has peace with you written all over it through our Savior, the Prince of Peace, in whose name we pray, amen.